that there's a sense in which we shouldn't even talk about this issue without tears mm. in our eyes. Mm. Election, then, is not just an act of, of sovereignty, it's also an act of grace. Mm. You're listening to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, episode 33. We're back and continuing in our third series called Confessional Life, where Derek and I discuss some of the basics of the Westminster Confession of Faith and what it means to live it out. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Press. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time giving us a listen, we want to welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to check us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice, and every Monday a new episode will be waiting for you. Also, while you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. In this episode, Derek and I begin a discussion on the third chapter of the Confession, of God's Eternal Decrees. Derek will give us an introduction to the chapter and discuss the three caveats that are found in section 1. Then we discuss first and second causes, followed by the difference between predestination and foreordination, if there is one. Before we get there, a quick note. As you probably noticed, we missed last week. Everyone is fine now, but cold and flu season hit and kept us from recording. Hopefully, for our sake, we won't have any hiccups like that in the near future. Now, let's get to our show. Good afternoon, Dr. Thomas. Derek. Derek. Not So you were at the orthodontist today? I was at the orthodontist today. Actually, Evelyn, my oldest, was at the orthodontist today. Ouch. Yeah, which means that um, if you if you are listening, HR, I need you just to deposit my paycheck yeah. straight into the orthodontist for the next fifteen years. For the next fifteen years. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Moving on. <laughs> can we? Can the, can this episode be about depression? <laughs> uh, no, we are on chapter four of the confession. Of God's eternal decree. Now, way, way off in the distance, Derek, you may see School of Theology. It is, it has left us behind. We, we were going to try and pay School of Theology, but that just hasn't happened. So here we are. Um, of God's eternal decree. So we may have to do more supplementing to, to refresh people's memory, um, than we originally anticipated. Well, this is the chapter in the confession uh, that deals with God's total sovereignty over all things. Hmm. So in order for a text like Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for whom he did for no, he also did predestinate to be conformed mm. to the image of his son, and whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. What shall we then say to these things, and so on? That's a that's a text that is 
comprehensively inclusive of every event and circumstance, mm. past, present, and future. Mm. So in order for that to be true, there has to be some understanding of God's total sovereignty. Mm. The things happen because God wills them to happen, because he wills them to happen before they happen, and he wills them to happen in the way that they happen. Mm. So it's, and sorry, we're, this is a difficult topic, so we're mm-hmm. going to get difficult. Uh, this is a no-risk view of providence. By the way, the fact that you have, you have, um, what is it? Not tinsel, but, um, but little, little sparkly things over your face. Oh, glitter. Glitter. Do I really have glitter? You have glitter. Was this at the orthodontist? No, this was the youth staff. But, but this too is, <laughs> this is pre- part of God's decree. He decreed that I would have glitter from the youth staff. This is, this is who our youth staff are. By the way, this is the the perils of working in a church like this. They filled my office with glitter-filled balloons. That with, was months ago. N- it was months ago. Okay. But it's, it's still here. It's You will never get rid of this glitter, ever. It will be, there will be a nuclear war, and there will still be purple glitter in this office. So, getting back You're to... You're right, God's decrees. Sorry. God's decrees. God's decrees. So it begins with a statement that God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass Mm. at the foreordination of all events Mm. by God. Now, that's fine. And and there are times when, when that truth is reassuring and and helpful. Mm. But then there are some issues, some problems, philosophical problems, theological problems that arise. One, if God decrees everything, doesn't that make God the author of sin? Right. So if you make God the author of sin, then God cannot be pure. God is unrighteous. You sacrifice something of the goodness of God, which actually happens, I think, in Islam, Mm. but is fundamentally... Um, not the case in Christianity. Mm. So the confession introduces a massive sort of caveat. Mm. God ordains everything, but he's not the author of sin. Right. Uh, it doesn't explain. Uh, a million questions arise now. So, mm. so at the very least, it's saying God creates and orders a universe in which there is the possibility of free choice. Mm. In some form, in some way. Mm. Right? All of that has to be heavily nuanced, but that's caveat number one. God right. is not the author of sin. Right. The second caveat is that violence isn't um, forced upon the will of the creature. Mm. So in other words, that the creature, you, me, mm. the cat, the dog, has something that we call choice. Mm. We, we have a will. We choose. Mm. Now, let's not get into the whole Arminian-Calvinist debate on free will. Mm. Arminians believe that we have the power of contrary choice, mm. and uh, meaning that we have the power to choose all possible options. Right. 
And that may have been true before the fall, but for Calvinists, that's not true after the fall. We right. lose that part of free will, which is the Reformation debate. It's the Luther debate on the bondage of the will. It's, right. it's, it's massively what Jonathan Edwards spends a great deal of time talking about. The loss of free will. But we do have what's called, I mean, free will on the, on the, on, on the one level, but on another level, we, we have free will. Mm. We have the power of choice within, to choose within our natures, to choose within the capacities of our natures. Mm. You chose to wear a red tie, I'm not sure if that's a political statement, but we'll pass that by. But you chose to wear a a checked red tie with a checked blue shirt. Stylistically very bad. (laughs) There's there's all sorts of things to my eyes when Mm. I look at you. Mm. Um, You know, you're not supposed to to do that. Mm. Uh, But you made that you made that choice. So, So caveat number two is Violence isn't caused to the will of the creature. We're not robots. We're not mm. automatons. We do have moral responsibility. Mm. And the third one is that the liberty or contingency of second causes isn't taken away, but rather established. So what in the world is that? Right. And, and what it what it is is... The Westminster Divines giving uh, approval to a concept that goes back all the way to the medieval, through the medieval church, goes all the way back to Augustine. Mm. But it's very prominent in the medieval age Mm. that things happen through second causes. There are first causes and second causes. And, and the example that I like to use is, you know, God, God, you can say, why is the sky blue and the sun is shining and there are no clouds in the sky as happens to be the case right now? Because God ordered it. Because God is in charge of the weather. But you can also describe that in terms of a scientific meteorological explanation of why right. there's no rain in South Carolina. High pressure, low pressure. Yeah, and I, I can't do that. But, right. but if, if you want, there is a science and it can be accurately and more and more accurately mm. uh, predicted at least like a five-day prediction, and right. they're, they're pretty accurate yeah. these days. And and so there's a first cause, second cause. So three caveats. God foreordains everything, decrees everything, mm. but he's not the author of sin. Violence isn't caused to the will of the creature. The liberty or contingency of second causes isn't taken away, but rather established. Right. That third one, liberty or contingency, the idea of chance. We have our listener whose surname is chance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so That's the right. concept of, of chance, luck. Yeah. Flip a coin, heads or tails, um, shoot craps. Right. Can I use that word on the radio? We'll edit it out. <laughs> you know, I'm talking Dice. about the game. Dice. Dice. Yes. Dice. Right. <laughs> and I know nothing about it. Never done it. Honest. Never done it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a concept of heads or tails. Right. Um, ones or sixes or whatever yeah, the whatever. numbers here. Yeah. Luck. Yeah. A number of times I've tried to 
teach through the Westminster just with somebody else because it, it helps me to make sure that I've got categories and that I'm understanding it correctly. I got here once and a guy who was much smarter than me, not difficult, but much smarter than me, um, who said when we got to the end of this section said, so is God the, the first cause, the primary cause of all things except sin? And I wasn't sure how to answer, to be honest. Well, he's not the author of sin, so he's not right. the primary cause of sin. Right. He creates a universe in which sin is possible. So is sin a secondary cause then? Is it? Well. And I guess this is where my mind is just. Uh, right. He it, creates a universe in which sin is possible. Right. Um, so, so, so the moral culpability falls at the second cause. The moral culpability falls at the point at which um, that freedom is exercised. Right. Now, do I understand that? I mean, you know, it's, that's easier to say. It's, it's even, it's even easier just to write it down. <laughs> right. But do, do you actually understand what it is that you're saying? Yeah. Right. That, that the concept of contingency is compatible with total and absolute sovereignty. Right. Well, I can say those words, but I'm not sure I understand what, what I mean by that. But the Bible does seem to present both of those things to be true. Right. Okay, so that's the that's the first section of chapter four. Um, now, in chapter or in section three, there are two words that get used, and this is talking about um, whether or not someone is elect or or if they're reprobate. And the two words are predestinated and foreordained. And then those two words get repeated again in section four, men and angels us predestinated and foreordained. Um, and then predestinated again in five and in seven again to ordain them to dishonor. So the Westminster divines are obviously using these two words intentionally, one in, in one category where they're elect and ordain or foreordain in another category. Why would they choose to use these two words? Is there a distinction and a difference? Yes and no. Okay. I think is the answer. I think that predestination and foreordination are semantically synonymous. Okay. And I think that broadly speaking, we use those words to mean the same thing. However, what is in view in in these sections of the confession is the issue of election to salvation and and reprobation to damnation now the issue is very sensitive mm. right there's a sense in which we shouldn't even talk about this issue without tears mm. In our eyes, mm. we're talking about the damnation of the wicked, mm. the non-elect, mm. uh, those whom God consigns to hell. Mm. Now, okay, so we're going to talk about it, right? We need to be careful that we just don't just talk about it, right? That that, that we give it proper weight and deference, and and we are humble about it. Mm. Uh, and 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 thankful to God 
that we can know our election mm. through faith in Jesus Christ, mm. and all of those caveats. But the issue is, on, on a theoretical basis, is the way God elects those to salvation a mirror image of those whom he foreordains to eternal damnation? Mm. In other words, and, 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 you know, I'm going to use an illustration now that, that, that may sound trivial, mm. even, even blasphemous mm. in a sense. You know, is, is, is election and reprobation like a, a little child with a, with a daisy and she's plucking the petals mm. and she's saying, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves this one, he doesn't love that one. He loves this one, he doesn't love that one. Right. And is, is that how it is that God decides yeah. this one is going to be elect, this one is going to be reprobate? There's, there is no doubt that God decides it. Yes. It is part of his decree because we've just said nothing happens outside of God's decree. Everything that happens in totality is part of God's decree. But the question is, is, is it a mirror image? Are election and reprobation equally ultimate mm. is the technical way of putting that. And there are those who say yes. Right, and they, they'll go to passages like uh, Romans nine, uh, and and the illustration uh, that uh, Paul is using, and it's an Old Testament illustration um, that God is like a potter, and doesn't He have the right to make one vessel to honor and another to dishonor? Hmm. Right? W- one potter, same clay, yeah. he makes one vessel. Now, scraps that one, it makes another one. Keep that one. Right. That, that this is purely a matter of sovereignty. Mm. So, so the reason why somebody is elect and the reason why somebody is reprobate is entirely an issue of sovereignty. Mm. Others will say, no, God elects some out of grace, right? He elects some, but he pre-considers before he elects anybody. He already pre-considers logically Mm. their fallenness. So he has decreed a world in which it is possible to fall. Mm. Uh, And as a consequence of that pre-consideration of their fallenness, election then is not just an act of of sovereignty, it's also an act of grace. Mm. And reprobation isn't simply an act of sovereignty. It's an act of justice. It's letting those who are not elect Mm. reap the consequences of their fallenness Mm. and are therefore reprobate. So the reason for their reprobation is not simply the sovereignty of God. The reason for their reprobation is the justice of God. Mm. In other words, election and reprobation are not the same. God chooses one, but he passes by another and leaves them to the consequences of their fallenness. One view is supralipsarianism and the other is infralipsarianism. And the Westminster divines were probably fairly equally divided Hmm. on that score. Hmm. And 
and I th- I personally think, though though not not everyone is agreed, but I personally think that the divines deliberately choose different words here to suggest to one of the parties that there is a difference between mm. between predestinating to eternal life and foreordaining to eternal death, and that makes the infralipsarians not happy, but I mean that gives them that room. Gives them room, right? But but the superlipsarians will simply read that and say, "Well, there's no difference between those two words; they're just synonyms," right? And it gives them room, right? You've been listening to One A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstprescolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org or via our Twitter account which is at 1A Podcast that's at 1A Podcast or by phone 803-281-1795 803-281-1795 For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.